For what are you grateful? I know this is the week of Thanksgiving and we take the time to reflect on those things that we're grateful for. Uh, And I think true Thanksgiving always begins with naming those things that we're most thankful for in our lives. Um, But today I want us to go deeper than that. Um, And to help with this, we'll go to the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, Deuteronomy is the, the fifth book of the Bible. It is a book of instruction or law, or in the Hebrew, Torah. Uh, It is a book that emphasizes the need for learning by all generations. Now, in this book, uh, at the very beginning, we find out that Moses is speaking on behalf of God to the people of Israel. And they are, the people are preparing to enter the promised land. And the book begins with these words. It says, these are the words that Moses spoke to all Israel beyond the Jordan. And then it goes on to say, In the land of Moab, Moses undertook to expound this law as follows. And so the scripture that I'm going to read for you from chapter 8 continues with that. It's, it's part of this instruction. Uh, and this instruction is given to the people as they're getting ready to cross over the Jordan River. And an important part of this particular passage is the need to um, focus on and to keep God's commandments. So let's listen now to our scripture passage. It comes from the eighth chapter of Deuteronomy. I will read verses eight, excuse me, seven through eighteen. And so this is what our scripture says: Then the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land a land with flowing streams, with springs and underground waters, welling up in valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land where you may eat bread without scarcity, where you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and from whose hills you may mine copper, You shall eat your fill and bless the Lord your God for the good land that he has given you. Take care that you do not forget the Lord your God by failing to keep his commandments, his ordinances, and his statutes, which I am commanding you today. When you have eaten your fill and have built fine houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks have multiplied, and your silver and gold is multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied, then do not exalt yourself, forgetting the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrible wilderness, an arid wasteland with poisonous snakes and scorpions. He made water flow for you from flint rock, and fed you in the wilderness with manna, that your ancestors did not know, to humble you and to test you, and in the end, to do you good. Do not say to yourself, my power and the might of my own hand have gotten me this wealth, but remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, so that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your ancestors as he is doing today. Amen. Isn't it great when 
someone gives you a surprise gift, a, a gift that lets you know that you're loved and appreciated. I think it's one of those things that makes you feel special. Well, a couple weeks ago, my son Owen surprised me with just that kind of gift. Now, I had packed my lunch for work that day, and somewhere along the way, when I obviously wasn't looking, he snuck a surprise into my lunch. Well, later that day when I was hungry and ready to eat, I opened up my lunch and I found a card with a little note written on it. And it said, Dear Dad, I wanted to give you your favorite candies for your lunch today because I love you. And then it signed, Owen, love Owen, and he taped on two pieces of chocolate candy. Now that gift made me feel good, and I wanted to tell Owen so. So when I picked him up from school, I, I thanked him again and again for that gift. I wanted him to know how thankful I was for that present. Now for as long as I can remember, Victoria and I have been telling our kids to be grateful for the gifts they get. Anytime they get a gift, we have them write thank you notes and make phone calls because we believe it's important to practice gratitude. Well, as we gather here on this Thanksgiving week, we are telling each other that we ought to be thankful to God for the blessings in our lives. We should be thankful for what we have. But I think we also tell ourselves that one of the problems with the world today is that people aren't grateful enough. Some people take for granted what they have, and others act as if they deserve more. And I think when people act like this, they can come across as being ungrateful. And so, personally, I do wish people would be more grateful for what they have. And yet, I'm reminded that Jesus really doesn't say all that much about us having any obligation to feel grateful, or to give thanks. Now, in the Gospels, there are just a few stories involving Jesus in thanksgiving. If you look through all four of the Gospels, you'll certainly read about Jesus giving thanks when he breaks bread. But there really aren't any commandments about our obligation to feel thankful. Now, there is the reliable story about the ten lepers found in Luke chapter 17. And with that scripture, uh, people do use it to talk about gratitude, but it really isn't about giving thanks. It has more to do with the power of Jesus and the dynamics between the people of Judea and Samaria. Now, the only other significant story that I could find in the Gospels uh, that pertains to Thanksgiving is the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector. You'll find this in Luke chapter 18. Now, tax collectors, as we know from back then, were basically extortionists. They were crooks. They did a lot of bad things. And yet, in this story, the tax collector weeps and cries out to God for forgiveness. And he says, have mercy on me, a sinner. And then the polar opposite of this tax collector is the Pharisee. He's the religious pillar in the community. He does everything right. And when he prays, he stands apart from his people, and he says, Lord, thank you that I'm not like other people, 
especially like this tax collector. Now that prayer of thanksgiving, and that's what it was, a prayer of thanksgiving, comes across as smug and pompous. The way that Pharisee expressed his gratitude has me wondering, what do our prayers of thanksgiving sound like to God? Do they sound as smug and pompous? I sure hope not. But we certainly need to be careful in the way we practice gratitude. I say this because if we're not careful, pride will quickly infect our thankfulness, as it did with the Pharisee. Now, we should certainly be thankful for what we have, and it is good for us to express our gratitude to God. We should be thankful for the blessings in our lives. You know, we can be thankful for lots of different things. We can be thankful for living in a free country with a prosperous economy. But if pride gets into our gratitude, we start sounding like the Pharisee. Our prayers might sound like, God, we thank you that we're not like those other people who aren't as successful as we are. Those people who live on the other side of town, in those poor neighborhoods, or in those poor countries. Now, pride would have us believe that we're somehow better than those other folks, those folks who aren't as successful as we are. But the thing with pride is that it's just a sinister thing. We may not even realize that it's in our gratitude. And yet when it is in there, it leads us to believe that we are solely responsible for our success. And pride keeps us from seeing opportunities for ministry. Let me give you an example. When we voice our gratitude for prosperity... We should express our gratitude for that blessing. And we ought to be mindful of those who aren't prosperous, for those people who are in need, those people who are suffering. And when we're aware of needs like this, we're less likely to be prideful and we're in a better position to make a difference, to offer a helping hand. Now today's scripture from Deuteronomy chapter 8 helps bring to life what I'm trying to describe here. Just look at the language that we have in this scripture passage. Look at the language that it uses to describe the promised land. It's a land with springs and underground waters that are bursting from valleys and hills. It's a land with wheat and barley, sweet figs and pomegranates, and honey and olives. It's a land full of all kinds of material resources, including iron and copper, which are the necessary ingredients in industry and trade. The scripture also describes fertile herds that produce wool, meat, and milk, and it anticipates that the people will build fine houses and never go hungry. This is a picture of prosperity. Is a picture of a land that overflows with good stuff, where one blessing is piled on another. It is a picture of the promised land, and the people of Israel should be grateful. Now, Deuteronomy would have us see that there's no place for pride and gratitude. 
Now, Scripture teaches that true gratitude comes from being aware of not only our blessings, but also aware of the alternatives. And that's one of the main points that this Scripture makes. Now, for the people of Israel, life didn't have to be this good. In fact, in verse 15, it describes the opposite. It speaks of a great and terrible wilderness, an arid wasteland with poisonous snakes and scorpions, and a life of slavery. Now, the Scripture invited the Israelites to recognize that their blessings may only be temporary. They certainly had a past that wasn't so blessed. They were slaves in Egypt. And when they escaped that slavery, they spent 40 years wandering around in the wilderness where they dealt with hunger and thirst and all kinds of other dangers. They struggled for their survival. These struggles, of course, were in the past. And yet, the Scripture's reminding them that they may also face struggles in the future. And so the Scripture doesn't want them to lose sight of that possibility. Now, this leads me to ask, I think, an important question. How then should we express our thanks to God? Well, I think we have to be diligent in keeping pride out of our gratitude and remember that there are many people who may not be as fortunate as us. We need to remember that there are many people who are struggling in one way or another. They may be stuck in some kind of wasteland or another. There are people who are having to deal with all kinds of scorpions and poisonous snakes, metaphorically, of course. There are people who can only dream of a life that will improve one day, a life that will have pomegranates and sweet figs, olives and honey and many other blessings. See, the point of this scripture and the point, I think, of giving thanks is to help us see the alternatives. It forces us to recognize disparity, to see the haves and the have-nots. And we thank God for our food because we know that there are people who have no food on their plates. We thank God for our wealth because we know there are people who have no wealth. We thank God for our homes because we know there are people who have no home. So gratitude for things like these is not an invitation to be prideful, but it's to see the alternatives. Now later in Deuteronomy, in chapter 15, God orders the chosen people to open their hands to their needy neighbors. Now Israel has been blessed with so many blessings And yet, that sheer abundance isn't meant to be hoarded. God expects His people to share what they have, to share their wealth with others, especially with those who are disadvantaged and in need. In our passage, in verse 11, it says, Take care that you do not forget the Lord your God by failing to keep His commandments. And then in verse 17, it reads, Do not say to yourself, My power... And the might of my own hand have gotten me this wealth. Now, I think it is true that entrepreneurial people with a strong work ethic, along with lots of grit and persistence, 
can turn their wealth into greater wealth. But no one is completely self-made. And let me give you an example. 125 years ago, there was a proud farmer in Gates County, North Carolina, who started his life with really little more than a mule and a stretch of land. This was my great-grandfather. He plowed his fields, endured droughts and pests and all other things that farmers have to put up with. But over the years, he made a pretty comfortable life for himself. He never made a lot of money, of course. But when he finally retired, there was nothing that he enjoyed more than sitting in his rocking chair on his front porch. He built that house with his own hands. He paid for it through his hard work. And I think there's nothing that really compares to that pleasure of appreciating something that you have made. And yet, my great-grandfather's hard work alone did not earn his prosperity. And I say this because I know that there are farmers in places like Honduras, in Burma, in Uganda, who work just as hard as my great-grandfather, and yet they live in poverty. You know, why does that happen? Well, my understanding of the problem is, or at least part of the problem, is that farmers in countries like that don't have access to the same kinds of resources. They don't have good roads on which to transport their produce to market. And they don't have access to the kind of credit that's needed to run a farming business. You know, it is tempting to look at a poor person and to think that they got that way because they just aren't working hard enough. And I think when we start feeling that way about others, it's easy for us to become possessive of the blessings that God has given to us. We come to feel that what we have is ours by right. We tell ourselves that we earned it. And I think that's when we start acting like the Pharisee in the parable. We start acting ungrateful for what we have and that we're not like other people. But in reality, what we own and what we enjoy in life doesn't come from our, our own hands alone. We've been blessed. And that should lead us to express our thanksgiving to God. See, true thanksgiving goes beyond a warm, fuzzy feeling that we have in our hearts for the good things we have in our lives. Certainly, we should have those feelings, but it goes beyond that. True thanksgiving sees the alternative to our blessings, which then keeps us from ignoring those who aren't as fortunate, those who aren't as prosperous. True thanksgiving moves us to walk alongside those who are struggling and then to find ways to bless them. As you count your blessings this week, be sure you give God thanks for the good things in your life. But I encourage you to also take the time to remember the alternatives and then do what you can to make a difference to others, and to bless those who struggle.